0: Matthew's Gospel, chapter 12, please. Our first reading is in Matthew 12, and verse 38. Then certain of the scribes and the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. But he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonas, or Jonah. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonas. And behold, a greater than Jonas is here. The queen of the south shall rise up in the judgment with this generation and shall condemn it, for she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, a greater than Solomon is here. Flick over, please, to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16. <clears throat> Verse 1. The Pharisees also with the Sadducees came and, tempting, desired him that he would show them a sign from heaven. And he answered and said unto them, When it is evening, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and lowering. O ye hypocrites, ye can discern the face of the sky. But can ye not discern the sign of the times? A wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall be shall no sign be given unto it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. And he left them and departed. Let's pray. Father. Settle us in your presence. Settle our hearts. Settle our minds and our spirits. And cause your word to be known in this place to every one of us. Your word, Father, excites our hearts, strengthens us, encourages us. And your word, Father, is that seed to bring eternal life. So we pray, Father, that the Word of God would find place in all of us this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm conscious that I just went straight into the Word. We will break bread afterwards. I thought I'd just change it there for a moment. The Lord Jesus is approached by the religious order or the religious leaders of his day, the Pharisees and the scribes. And in our first reading in Matthew chapter 12, it says in verse 38, Then certain of the scribes and of the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. Notice, Master, we would see a sign from thee. Now, it wasn't a term of reverence when they called him Master. You and I, as blood-washed, born-again believers, may call him Master as a sign of reverence, recognizing that he's not only a master, but he's master of all, that he is the master of all creation. But here they're saying it as you're a teacher, you're teaching. You're saying this and you're saying that. Now show us a sign from you. You show us a sign. They desired a sign to see whom Jesus, what Jesus was or if Jesus could perfect that which he said he would perform. Master, that we would see a sign from thee. In other words, their words to Christ was nothing short of sarcasm and cynical arrogance. We will believe you if you show us a sign from you. Prove yourself to us, in other words. Jesus, show us a sign if you want us to follow you. Show me a sign if you want me to believe in you and to trust you. If you want me to come to you, then show me a sign. Show me a miracle, in other words. Do miracles and perform, and we will follow you. A sign from you, as they say here, it's what's known as, it's emphatic. In other words, when they say, Master, we would see a sign from thee, they're emphasizing what they want from him and what they expect from him. It's emphatic. In other words, okay, teacher. That's the way it would read. Okay, you who says he's the teacher of God's word. Okay, teacher. Then show us a sign. That's the way it reads. So it wasn't said in a nice way, but more through sarcasm and cynical arrogance. Listen to Matthew Pooh, an old, old preacher and commentator. Listen to what he says. Had not Christ shown them signs enough, What were all the miracles that he had wrought in their sight? They either speak this out of a further idle curiosity, or else they speak it in direct opposition. In other words, they were opposing Christ by asking for a sign. They were cynical of who he was. They were cynical of what he said. They were cynical of what he said he would do for them. Notice this. Luke has the account of it in Luke chapter 11. Luke 11 and verse 29 says, And when the people were gathered thick together, he began to say, This is an evil generation. They seek a sign. There shall be no sign given it but the sign of Jonas the prophet. So you'll find that Jonas and his swallowing up by the great fish or the, the whale is also in Luke's gospel, chapter 11. But notice what the Lord says, and when the people were gathered thick together. In other words, there were many people when Christ said this to them. They, the, the Pharisees, cynical in their ways and arrogant, opposing Christ in front of all the people said, tell you what, okay, teacher, you do a sign and I'll believe in you. You do a sign and we'll follow you. And the people were, it says, gathered thick together. It could be excused if the writer had written, and the thick people were gathered together. And the thick people were gathered together. For Christ was in their midst. For Christ was teaching his word. And in their thickness, thickness of heart and mind, they looked for signs. What greater sign does a man or a woman want than Christ Himself? What more do we need? What more do we look for? What more needs to be added to? Nothing but Christ Himself. People were gathered thick together, and Jesus said, This is an evil generation. There shall be no sign given it but the sign of Jonas the prophet. Now, when we look at the signs, the miracles that Christ had already performed, only in Matthew's account, and there may be others, and there are others that I'll not mention, or many others, in fact, John said he did so many miracles, if they were be written in books, the world couldn't contain the books that they were written in. So it wasn't just a little miracle here and a little miracle there. Jesus went about with power and he healed and he cast out devils. He raised the dead everywhere he went. Everywhere he went. The wonderful news for you and I this morning is that it says Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. That he is the same Lord, it changes not. But nevertheless, even in Matthew's account, just some of them you would read that he cleansed the leper. He fed the multitude. He healed the centurion's servant who lay sick at home. He healed Peter's mother-in-law. He calmed the storm with his word. He cast out devils. He healed the lamb. Coming into chapter 9, it says, He healed the lamb, He healed the woman with the issue of blood. He healed the blinded eyes and made them to see. It also tells us he made the dumb to speak. And listen to what it says in chapter 9 and verse 35. Matthew 9:35 says, And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Imagine that. There wasn't one man there wasn't one woman, there wasn't one city, there wasn't one village where those who came to Christ were not touched by Christ and left Christ different than they came to him. He went about the cities and the villages. It be lovely to see the power of Christ in Donoclonie Village. Wouldn't it be lovely to see the body of Christ on earth, which is you and I in Donaclony or Waringstown or all the villages around about in the cities. Wouldn't it be lovely to see that Christ is in you and Christ is in me as the church of Jesus Christ and that we are the living witness and testimony that everywhere we went, Christ in us performed the work and perfected that which he says he'll do in his word. And it's everywhere. To everyone. They ask him for a sign. The insincere heart will always keep asking for a sign. I want to say that again. The insincere heart will always keep asking for a sign. And never yield their heart fully to rest it in faith upon Christ alone. The sincere heart has seen the greatest sign in Christ. And need never ask for another sign, but wholly yield itself into Christ, and it rests fully in faith upon him alone. The sincere heart says, Jesus is enough for me. The sincere heart says, I have come and yielded myself to Christ. The sincere heart says, Jesus is all I need. The sincere heart says, he is more than enough for my salvation, that I add nothing else. The sincere heart comes to Christ, lays itself prostrate, at the foot of his cross, repents of its sin, and the sincere heart says, Lord, be my Savior, God over all, Master, save me. The sincere heart comes in faith looking for healing of body, soul, and spirit. The sincere heart yields itself to the Word of God and comes under subjection and obedience to the precious Word of God. The sincere heart will always rest solely, totally, and completely on the finished work of Christ at the cross and nowhere else, because at the cross there's not only salvation, but there's healing. And after the cross there's Pentecost, where the Spirit of the Lord was poured out. The sincere heart will come to the cross and see the Lamb of God bearing away their sin in his own body on the tree, shedding his own precious blood that we may be forgiven, wash, cleansed, saved for time and eternity. See, that's the difference between sincerity and insincerity. The insincere heart always asks for more. That means Christ is not enough. More religiously, more in ritual, more to works, more of giving. More of alms and deeds from themselves to hard to see how they could be saved, rather than saying, "I'm sincere enough to know that Christ has borne my debt and paid it." Am I speaking to someone who says, "Jesus, show me a sign, and I'll believe." Jesus, show me a sign. And I will follow. Jesus, show me a sign, and I will trust. The Lord says the greatest sign that ever this humanity would ever have was when he went to the cross to bleed and die. That he would go to the tomb and he would rise again on the third day. Today we mark today as the resurrection morning. Jesus is not on a cross. Jesus is not in a tomb in Canaan land. Jesus is risen. Jesus is alive. Jesus is ascended into heaven. Jesus is glorified. Jesus stands at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is our great high priest interceding on our behalf. And Jesus is the soon coming King. We need nothing else, no other, but trust in Christ alone. Notice this. They ask for a sign, but their heart will never be satisfied unless Christ fills their heart. In Matthew 16 and verse 1, we think of how we're told the Pharisees also went with the Sadducees, so they come back again. And they came tempting. Notice, they came tempting. Now their hearts revealed even more. Okay, teacher, show us a sign from you. Now their hearts revealed even more. They come tempting, desiring. Notice, tempting, desired him that he would show them a sign from heaven. Notice chapter 12, show us a sign from you. Now chapter 16, show us a sign from heaven. See how that's never satisfied? The unregenerate heart, the unsaved heart, Uh, The heart that does not know Christ, that's never been quickened by the Holy Ghost to see the Lamb of God, to receive Christ. Do you see how it's never satisfied? And brothers and sisters, you you believe this because in this world as Christians, we see it every day through secularism. We see it every day through the political, the correct system that it's never enough it's always more that they want and more that they need and more that they're looking for to destroy the word of God, to water down the wine of the word that Christ made water into wine. They're trying to weaken the gospel. They want to take away our truths. They want us to yield our, our, our spirits to them. And it's never enough. First of all, from you. Now it's from heaven. We want it from heaven. What does it take? Churches have become so programmized to bring the world in. And it's good to get people into church. I, I want them in, into the building. But we must never, ever, we must never, ever, we must never think that you and I can substitute the Word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, the person and presence of the Holy Spirit, for all the things that the world has to offer. There's nothing, nothing can quicken a spirit. None can quicken the spirit but the Holy Spirit himself. That's your spirit, quicken your spirit, illuminate your mind. We cannot, we cannot substitute the things of God for the things of the world to make it seem acceptable unto them. This book tells us how we get to glory. It's our Bible. B-I-B-L-E. Basic instructions before leaving earth, as it were. We're But we will return. But anyhow, notice this. Notice this. From you, now from heaven. Why would they say that? One, because they're looking more. It's never enough, as though Christ can never satisfy. But Christ always satisfies the man and woman who rest in him. And brothers and sisters, let's hear that. Maybe, we, maybe we're speaking to someone who doesn't know Christ, but Christ will always satisfy those who rest in him. Always. The unbelieving heart will cause palpitations of unbelief and panic. To deceive those who never see, who never accept, and always reject Christ, it will cause palpitation of unbelief to those who are never satisfied with that which Christ offers. But the believing heart will have a tranquil, rhythmic beat of assurance with understanding, seeing and accepting, and being satisfied to the full with the slenderest portion that Christ doth offer every one of us. The slenderest portion of Christ is enough for eternity. Miracles from thee, they said. Show us a miracle from you in chapter 12. The miracle from you speaks of Christ's humanity or speaks of humanity and earthly things. From you, you're a man in front of us. Okay, teacher, show us a a miracle. Show us a sign. Speaks of earthly things. But they also may have thought then, if we are looking back at the miracles that he's done, we have to acknowledge them. And if we acknowledge them, we have to acknowledge then who is behind them. Then who is behind them? Is it God? And they said, no. But rather, it is Beelzebub in Luke chapter 11. He casts out devils by the prince of devils, Beelzebub, they said. That's how he's doing it. Attributing the works of the Holy Spirit. Attributing the the works of the Holy Ghost to Beelzebub. And Jesus said, now that is blasphemy. And that, he says, is unforgivable. Let us be careful. Let us be careful. And what we deem to be fit from God and what we do not deem to be fit from God. You see, the sign from him was an earthly sign. But when they said, show us a sign from heaven... Well, then, it would definitely be God, wouldn't it? Shows His deity. Matthew twelve, Matthew sixteen, Luke, in, and Luke eleven. In every case, it's recorded. Jesus said, "There shall no sign given, but the sign of Jonas, the prophet, or the prophet Jonah." In Matthew chapter twelve and verse forty of our reading, he says, "Here is the sign." For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Christ was speaking of his death, his humanity. Christ was speaking of his resurrection, the heavenly sign. So he's saying, you want an earthly sign from me? You want a heavenly sign from heaven through me? Then watch my death, watch my burial, watch my resurrection. My earthly sign is, here I am, man, being nailed to the cross. Here I am, man, burying away your penalty. There's your earthly sign you can visually see. But you want to see a sign from heaven? You say, Lord, show us a sign and I'll believe you. Show me a sign and I'll follow you. Show me a sign and I'll be up and doing for you. Show me a sign and we'll walk after you all the days of our lives. Show me a sign and I'll trust in you. Jesus says, I'll show you a sign. Oh, but then we want to see one from heaven. Well, here's a sign from earth and here's a sign from heaven. Here's a sign from humanity. Here's a sign in my deity. He says, I will die as a man on a cross, but I will be raised again as almighty God that's from heaven the sign of the prophet Jonas Jonas was told to go to Nineveh to preach against it and he ran to go to Tarshish he got on the ship and the, there was a great storm came and he's sleeping down uh, below the ship in the sides of the ship and we know that they came to, uh, the sailors came and he was thrown overboard or he gave himself up to go overboard a sacrificial offering Christ says I'll be your sacrificial offering He goes into the waters and the whale comes and swallows him up. He's taken out of man's sight. That's his death. He's taken out of man's sight. The whale goes to the depths of the sea with Jonah in his belly. Out of the belly of hell cried I, and the Lord heard me. Here it shows that Christ goes to the tomb, and he's there three days and three nights. The Lord heard him, and the Lord tells the whale in his deity, Now spit Jonah out. And he goes and spits Jonah out onto the beach. Jonah comes out, here is the resurrection of the Lord coming back and showing himself alive unto man as Jonah had done. And he says, there is the sign of the prophet Jonas. I will die. I will go out of sight of man. Three days and three nights will I stay in the whale's belly and then I will be resurrected. There's your sign from heaven. And on the third day, Peter and John, when Mary goes and comes to get them to say, they have taken the master. His body's not there, we're told, that when they get there, there are two angelic beings, two men in white standing there and say, Why seek ye the living among the dead? <laughs> he is not here. He has risen. Why seek ye it is actually he's the living one. The living one. See, he is the living one. In him alone is immortality. He is the living God. He is the living one. He is the life giver. And it says, why seek ye the living one, the one who is resurrected from the dead, the first fruits of every creature? In other words, the first one to live, to die no more. Lazarus was raised, but he died again. Little girl Talitha was raised, but she died again. The the, the widow woman's son from then, when he raised him from the dead and gave him back to his mother, but he died again. But Christ, he was risen from the dead, and he's alive after the power of an endless life, and he won't die no more. He says, now there's your sign from heaven. There's the sign you need. What else do we need but Christ? They you see both of these signs in Christ. He says the men of Nineveh will rise up in judgment with this generation, condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. Jonah went then and preached in Nineveh, and they repented. He says, you haven't repented. Even the old Ninevites, the enemies of Israel, they repented. And judgment was stemmed. He then says the queen of the south, or Sheba as we would know her, South shall rise up in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it, for she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, a greater than Solomon is here. First of all, he says, a greater than Jonah is here. Now he says, a greater than Solomon is here. The Ninevites recognize God's warning, and Job and the queen of Sheba, or the queen of the south, recognize God's wisdom in Solomon. What was Jesus saying to them? What is Jesus saying to all of us? What is Jesus saying to those who have not come to saving faith in him? He says, you're missing the point here. That's what he's saying. He's saying to the Pharisees and the scribes and the people around, you're missing the point. Is there someone missing the point? I follow, but you need to show me a saying whether it's a lightning bolt from heaven or whether it's a thunderous voice or, or, or whether it, it's rolling clouds turning different colors, whatever they're looking for, he says, there isn't any but my death, burial, and resurrection. That's all there is. He says, you're missing the point. You ask for a sign. I am God's sign. I am God's sign. He says, you're missing the point. He says, you have failed to recognize me. One more sign will be given, and that will be the sign of the prophet Jonas. Listen to Adam Clark. Listen to what he said. Christ who preached to the Jews was infinitely greater than Jonah in his nature, person, and witness. Jonah preached repentance in Nineveh only 40 days, and Christ preached among the Jews for several years. Jonah wrought no miracles to authorize his preaching, But Christ wrought miracles every day in every place he went of every kind. Notwithstanding all this, the people of Judea did not repent, though the people of Nineveh did. Yet Jesus is greater than Jonah. He says he's greater than Solomon. Solomon. Solomon with his riches and his armies and his wealth, yet he says that foxes have bones and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man, speaking of himself, hath not where to lay his head. But yet when we think of him in eternity, he left the ivory palaces, as it were. He came down from the riches of glory. And he became as nothing. He became man. He humbled himself. Yet in Luke 12 and 15 he says, Man's life consisteth not in the abundance of things which he possesseth. Solomon was a wise man, but Christ is wisdom personified. And in him... According to Ephesians 3, 3 and 8, in him are all the unsearchable riches of Christ. When I go to Luke 16, I'm closing. When I go to Luke 16, you read it when you go home, 19 to 31, we have the rich man and Lazarus, the poor man, Lazarus, and they both die. The rich man goes to hell or Hades. And, <clears throat> excuse me, and the poor man goes to Abraham's bosom. Now, listen, this is a kingdom teaching. It's not really about uh, individual salvation and loss, but we can use it for that too. But notice this. You see, you don't go to hell because you're rich. You don't go to heaven because you're poor. But notice what the, the, the rich man, it says, and being in hell. Being in torments, it tells us, in verse 31, it says, Let Lazarus come and dip his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. Luke 16, you'll read this. Listen to what it says in verse 31. The Lord says, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded though one rose from the dead. you want a sign? If the resurrection of Christ does not persuade you, if the word of God and the preaching of the word does not persuade you, if the teaching of the word of God and the resurrection does not persuade you, he says, you will not be saved. And the rich man resembles in, the, in, the, in this parable, and I, I can't go into it today, the rich man, also parabolic of kingdom teaching, is, is the house of Judah, the Jews, the, the poor man was the house of Israel who were scattered many years before that. Became full of sores and estranged from God. And they they have their riches. And these Pharisees, Jews, and, and religious leaders come to Jesus and he says, you can't even hear. You don't understand, he says. And you're going to be like this rich man who say will you help me because we're lost? He says, if you don't believe Moses and the prophets, if you don't believe the word of God, if you don't believe from Genesis now to Revelation, person, man, woman, whoever's listening, and if you don't trust in Christ, and if the resurrection of Christ after his death on the cross is not a big enough sign for you, there is none other. There's no other sign. So Paul tells us, in 1 Corinthians 1, that Christ is the wisdom of God and the power of God. Here's this little thought to close with for you. The sign of the prophet Jonas. In 2 Kings 14 and verse 25, Jonah is mentioned there. was the book of Jonah. We haven't even looked at it. Jesus has mentioned it. But it's also in 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25. It's just a little line there it tells us about Jonah. It says, Jonah, the son of Amitiah, the prophet which was of gath helper. Jonah, the son of Amitiah, the prophet which was of gath helper. Now we told you earlier that when they had names that was prophetic, and the prophetic names meant something, or it was something to do with something that happened at the time, so the name meant something. The name here, Jonah, means dove. Dove. Dove was represent represents the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lighted upon Christ at his baptism. The son of Amatiah. Amatia means my truth. My truth. Here we see the Word of God, my truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the Word made flesh. The son of Amatiah, the prophet, which was of Gath-Helper. You know what Gath-Helper means? Wine press. That's being dug out. Digging into the wine press. Crushing the grapes with the feet that the blood of the grape will come out. So here is the spirit the Word. Paul talks about washing of the water of the Word. And we have the red grape, which is the blood. The gospel of the Spirit, water, and blood. The water, the Word of God. Jonah was from the area that we've been on the borders of Zebulun. Of Zebulun. You know what Zebulun means? Exalted. Zebulun means exalted. Christ, the one who tread the winepress and shed his blood, went to the grave, he was raised again by the Holy Ghost, the power of God. He is the personified truth that stands now before the Father. He is Zebulun exalted. And he's coming again. There shall no sign be given, but that was the sign of the prophet Jonas. I trust that those who do not know Christ will realize that's the only way. He's the only one and in none other. May God bless his word to us. May God bless Andrew and Susan and Noah and Katie and little Jonah Benjamin. Benjamin, son of my right hand, son of my strength. They also became known as the light-bearing tribe. Maybe a light-bearer, bearing the light of the word. May God bless all the family, the grandparents, and the wider family circle.